you know, when we have to remember that mental health is uh, is not a character flaw, you know, someone who is struggling psychologically, emotionally, that doesn't make them weak. That makes them human. Hey, now, Mountain Crew, I'm going to give you a trigger warning right up front here. This episode is going to be all about mental health and even suicide in mountain towns. So if you're not in a good space where that's going to be good for you right now, then hit pause and come back to it later. But do come back to it. everyone where we provide insider intel on how ski areas happen the podcast is made by and for ski area employees in the northwest and if you work at a ski area in the northwest you can be part of this send me an email podcast at pnsaa.org and we'll figure something out all right everyone So this may not have been the episode you were expecting, but I think it's really important right now. We know that around the Christmas holiday season, some people can get pretty down. We know that seasonal affective disorder is a thing. And combining that with the coronavirus pandemic and this crazy year, it's safe to say there's some sad people out there. So we're going to talk about it. And right up front here, guys, I want to let you know that this is a sponsored episode. We got a sponsor at BetterHelp.com. That's H-E-L-P, BetterHelp.com. It's an online counseling platform. So if there's something interfering with your happiness or is preventing you from achieving your goals, hit them up, BetterHelp.com. They'll assess your needs and they'll match you with your own licensed professional therapist. After you get signed up, you can start communicating with your counselor in under 48 hours. It's not a crisis line. It's it's not self-help. It's a professional counseling service that's done securely online. You can log in anytime and send a message to your counselor. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses, and you can even schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't even have to sit in the waiting room as you might with traditional therapy, which during the COVID times might even be an added bonus. BetterHelp wants you to be with the right counselor for your needs, so they'll make it easy for you and free to change counselors if your initial match isn't feeling quite right for you. They really want to get it right. And for the Mountain listeners, we have a promo code. If you go to betterhelp.com slash the mountain, betterhelp.com slash the mountain, you're going to get 10% off the first month and you'll be on your way to having somebody uh, really good for you to to talk it out with. So check it out. Betterhelp.com slash the mountain. So I'll tell you how the podcast got to here. Last week, I read an article in the Seattle Times that said 49.2% of residents reported feeling depressed. 
It said that Seattle was the saddest metro area in the country. A U.S. census study in November called the Household Pulse Survey is where they got that information. The article also said that the U.S. Centers for Disease Control did a study that found depression has quadrupled among adults during the pandemic. The article broke things down into some socioeconomic categories, who's feeling it by age, income level, education, ethnicity, and so on. If you want to learn more about it, search it up through the Seattle Times. And I'll stop here to tell you a little more about my background. I have a bachelor's degree in sociology, and 20 years ago now, when I was fighting the urge to be a forever ski bum, I spent a brief moment as a social worker. One of those jobs I worked at through college was a, as a residential aide in a group home for kids from all walks of life, some with family troubles, some with legal troubles, who needed to be in a controlled environment. And after I finished my degree, while still being a bit of a ski bum, I was also a PSR worker. That's a psychosocial rehabilitation specialist, which basically had me being the person who helped people with mental or behavioral health issues put into practice the treatment plans that their professional therapist would put into place for them. Someone goes to the doc, the doc diagnoses their situation, prescribes them a treatment plan, and then tells them to maybe go hang out with the Jordan guy, and he'll help you put the plan into action. A lot of this was around family therapy and community societal integration. I guess I'm telling you this because it might explain why these things stick to my brain when I read them. So when I read that Seattle Times article, I immediately thought back to another article that I read in 2016 in National Geographic. That article was written by Kelly McMillan and was titled, Here's Why Ski Towns Are Seeing More Suicides. And at that time of publication in 2016, it really sparked a lot of discussion in our communities. Colorado even picked it up and ran a public story on it on Colorado Public Radio. The article had so many people talking and providing comments on the subject that National Geographic then did a follow up story on it back then. I'm not going to rattle off the findings the articles presented because it's really better for your brain if you read it yourselves. Some of the things mentioned, though, are the paradise paradox, substance abuse, housing costs, just to name a few. And also, I don't need to rely on these studies and narratives to know it's real. Both ski areas I've worked at, one in the Wasatch and one in the Northwest, at both, we experienced suicide of staff members. Twelve years ago, when I moved to the Northwest, and as always happens when you move to a new place, it takes a minute to make friends. And one of the first friendships I made back then was with a coworker at the mountain. After a couple years of knowing them, they stopped working at the ski area. And that next summer and fall, we spent a lot of time river rafting and, and continuing to hang out. I was really glad that we remained friends after they stopped working at the ski area. You know, maybe that kind of solidified the friendship. We weren't just work buddies. And it was this time of year, just after New Year's, that year that his body was found in his house. It's the real deal, guys. We have these amazing jobs in these amazing places with close knit communities and all the happy and all the good that comes with that. And still, 
you never know what people have going on in, internally. This year, depression's up 18% from 2014 for the general population and up 39% for millennials and younger. The median time for someone to seek treatment is 10 years. That means that most of us keep the mindset that we can handle our own stuff, thinking we can fix it ourselves until 10 years on, we hit a breaking point and seek help. But I'm not just going to sit here looking at the screen and the research I've done. I'm not going to pull out old sociology textbooks and regurgitate studies on reasonings for suicide. Instead, I'm tapping a friend. He was once the head of human resources at a larger ski area in Washington state and is now the VP of people and learning at Oregon's famed Mount Hood Meadows. Pulling up in the Zoom room, Matt Trotsky. Hello, what's up, man? Hey, Jordan. How are you? Doing well today. Well, hey, thanks for taking the call and th- taking the time today. Um, I really appreciate it. Could you give me a rundown of your roles in the industry, how you got to, to where you are, what you're doing? Sure. I suppose going all the way back to uh, about 1983, I, my first role was uh, I had a little little gig for about four weeks uh, in, in Michigan teaching Nordic skiing. And I did that for a few winters, but it was just a, it was, it was a little Nordic center in Southwest Michigan. My, my first job, what I really consider to be my, my first job in the, in the ski biz, uh, was driving, uh, employee transit at Stevens pass in Washington. I drove, I drove the employee bus, I parked cars and I drove the, the garbage truck. Did that for a couple of years before getting into HR. I ended up moving out of parking and transit into uh, an employee communications role in the human resources department. So I did that, became department head, uh, and eventually became uh, VP of human resources at Stevens before moving to Meadows in 2014. Gotcha. So you've, you've been at Meadows for six years now. Yes. So in the last podcast episode, I talked with Gwyn up at at Mount Baker. And we talked about this being an historic start to the season. It is just a a different animal than we've ever really experienced before in in getting ski areas open this year. What's that looking like for you and for Mount Hood Meadows? What's the start of the season been like? We had a great opening. Uh, We made a conscious decision to not open the Friday after Thanksgiving, which is a real, that's a typical opening day for us as well as sometimes doing a couple of preview weekends. And we decided uh, not to do that because we really did want to be focused on limiting our, our, our pace and our volume uh, and our crowd sizes. And so we decided to wait until Monday, uh, the Monday after Thanksgiving uh, to really give our team the ability to have five days, uh, not a holiday, uh, to really get used to all the new systems and processes. I think like a lot of folks, uh, we, we applied for and got a PPP loan this summer. We were able to keep a lot of our, uh, our managers and even our seasonal managers uh, on the payroll with the, the monumental task of really redesigning a lot of our systems and processes in order to you know, deal with 
what we what at that time was unknown uh right we were coming up with right. with kind of seven different seven different playbooks depending on restrictions and so uh to really put those plans in place we wanted to make sure that we we had a metered approach uh to 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 to, to do it successfully uh to build some trust with not only our team but our guests and and to know that we could do it and to to make those adjustments our our general manager greg pack is uh, very good about reminding everybody that we went, we make the plan and we work the plan. We also have to be flexible to, to change the plan and make alterations. We have to be asking ourselves what's working and what's not working in order to continue to really meet reality. Yeah. Flexibility uh, this year is the key. I mean, resilience, the industry has been such a kind of a, a champion of resilience anyway. And that's really been important this year. I think uh, that's, that's good to hear. Have your head counts changed? Has this, you, you know, you've had to put different people in different places, I assume. Um, has it changed your overall head counts or department shifts or what's that look like? We did come down in the number of people we hired uh, by a little bit. And uh, we found that hiring was also a little bit different. You might think in, in in a normal I, I i was almost going to think that i could make a goal to not use the word normal or new normal in this in this in this conversation but it's <laughs> yeah. so difficult uh the you know the in a normal uh economic downturn that usually bodes well for hiring and and we saw that this year a little bit but we also saw a, a lot of folks that had a fair bit of trepidation about getting into the workforce particularly the in, you know, doing service work, right? Where you're yeah. the, the intensity of, you know, of a food and beverage worker, of a lift operator, uh, of a rental technician, you know, the, the amount of people that you're interacting with in that nonstop uh, pace with so many people, for a lot of folks, that really makes them think twice about the number of ex- people they're being exposed to. Uh, again, all the unknowns about uh, COVID, uh, as well as, you know, how we might approach a guest who's not being compliant with the expectations that we've laid out. And, uh, you know, we, of course, used uh, Ski Well, Be Well. We got a lot of the signage, you know, we, it's, it's everywhere, right? It just smacks you in the face everywhere around the resort. Uh, and and happy to say we're, we really saw a, a good amount of compliance from our guests uh, and some self-policing. There's a lot of cases where the guests were the ones reminding other guests uh, Mm -hmm. about mask wearing. Uh, And that's not to say our lift operations team just didn't get completely worked, uh, you know, here and there with with some of that. But uh, even on social media, we've seen uh, a lot of. uh, A lot of kind of, you know, self-policing among the guests, you know, somebody who chimes in and is thinking that they're going to show up and not wear a mask. And a lot of our guests are saying, well, no, don't, don't come. And, and, you know, please Mountain Head Meadows, make sure that you, you know, revoke this person's lift access if they do show up. Uh, so I think for the most part, it seems like people have, have pulled together in, in that realm. Uh, it certainly doesn't, that doesn't completely alleviate the fact that it's, it's still pretty stressful. Uh, there, there is still a lot to be thinking about in, in terms of maintaining distance and you know, washing your hands more often and making sure we're supplied with wipes and sanitizer and you know, all these new uh, yeah. protocols. But as, but as you mentioned, the, you know, the, the, 
the industry that we're in is so full of people that are problem solvers and have that, you know, we've already, we adapt to the weather all the time. And so the, I think the, the, the ability to adapt, at least with, you know, with large portions of our industry uh, has probably been a model for a lot of industries that maybe aren't, uh, don't already deal with the volatility that we deal with uh, because of our, because of our weather. And hearing you say the, uh, all that culminates in increased stress was my sense. Uh, so I've, you know, I've not really left my house much it to, to be able to come over to Mount Hood Meadows. I'm not quite there yet where I'm going to, you know, be able to do a drive over. So I'm just watching from social media. I'm just watching afar. And I've seen some of those things that you just talk about too. And it does seem like, uh, people are really handling things pr- pretty well over there, uh, on Mount Hood. I want to give you a quick review of kind of how I, I got to hear this podcast wasn't supposed to be this, right? Just as like a lot of the things you're doing wasn't, this wasn't the plan. Uh, Zoom, you know, the Zoom room and, and all that. Um, you know, I'm supposed to be out at mountains or staff coming here to central Oregon and can go to some of the mountains around here with me and really share what our lived experience is like working in this awesome industry. But we're ten seven due to COVID on the podcast, so we pivot, um, and we'll see when we even get a next episode out. But why? How I got to hear it, all right, I think this is an important thing I wanted to talk with you in particular about, is because I've kind of sat in a in a similar chair to yours, and as you mentioned, the stress and and everybody, this just has to be a real tough thing for everybody, um, and we often try to put on a a brave face and really charge through and power through things. But last week, I, I read an article in the Seattle Times that said Seattle was the most depressed place in the country. And it immediately made me think of an article in the National Geographic about four years ago that got in deep about ski towns in general having higher suicide rates than other communities. And that sparked a lot of conversation back then. And then it kind of went away. We all go about living our lives and deal with it when it was immediate and then and then we kind of put it in the background again and of course covid just took dominance over everything but i know the time of year we're in holiday period can be a downer time for some people i know that seasonal affective disorder is a thing and now covid all these extra stressors is just it's of course people are going to be in some rough places in sometimes and I just thought you were someone good for me to call and talk about that with. Uh, so thanks for, thanks for taking the call. Um, you know, are you seeing that? Of course, everybody's stepped up and doing good things, but what are you seeing over there in terms of uh, it, this environment taking a toll on people? Well, it certainly does. In a normal year, you'd see hiring not be as troubling, not be as difficult because unemployment going up. And we really made an effort this year, as our managers were going through the hiring process, we said, look, we, you have got to add two pretty significant segments to your interviewing. One has got to be to alleviate that uncertainty and fear and reluctance by talking about all the work we've done all summer to make the environment and the workplace as safe as possible and to mitigate as many risks as, as we possibly can. And, and, and operate responsibly. The second segment is 
after we've after you describe all those things to a candidate, you have to turn you have to turn right around and say, are you prepared to to commit to all those protocols? You know, and and managers are giving some of those examples because you have to you have to hit both sides of that. You have to make sure that you're not losing a really otherwise a really good team member who's just too nervous, uh, who potentially could be one of those leaders of uh, of uh, setting a good example and reminding people of the behaviors and the protocols that we're following. But you also have to put that screen up uh, for anybody that thinks that they're going to show up and not care about those protocols or march to their own tune uh, or think that, you know, as, as the lawyers have discussed uh, at length, that they're going to, you know, say, well, it's just, it's, it's an accommodation. I have a medical condition, right? And, mm-hmm. and um, you know, do respect anybody that has a legitimate uh, disability that, you know, it's, it's really not fair to those people, right? For other folks to just jump on that bandwagon and think that they can use that as an example. So we really wanted to head that off at the past and say, look, here's going to, here's the expectations. Uh, and, and it's not, you know, it's not that our managers have not ever covered expectations of the workplace when they're doing hiring, but boy, it sure took a a whole new (laughs) list of bullet points this year uh, to to cover that. And so I think that that that's one piece of it. The second piece is you mentioned, you know, a couple of those articles and uh, I, I, we were doing biweekly town halls uh, all summer so that we were really trying to get, you know, the communication directly to our people. Uh, instead of you know relying on our very very overworked managers to cascade that communication out all the time, uh, we said, look, let's let's do town halls. Let's let's talk directly to everyone and get you know any given week was a you know a different expert, right? Whether it was our daycare director talking about how we were going to only be offering daycare to employees, whether it was our VP of mountain ops talking about the forest fires, uh, because that was, yeah. <laughs> uh, that seemed like, you know, eight, 87 years ago, but, uh, <laughs> right. We had, you know, uh, we had racial tensions. We had a, a call for justice and equity and inclusion. We had a, you know, uh, hotly contested, uh, election, um, you know, high unemployment. And so I think about that one in one of those town halls, I shared that, uh, you know, one in five adults, will have a mental health struggle this year, one in five. Yeah. Uh, and and the for every 1% that unemployment goes up, the suicide rate goes up 1.6%, which just goes to show you know, the, that, that notion of not just putting food on the table and not just paying rent, but that ability to find meaning in life vocationally is, is a real big deal. And so I think we, we often sometimes get lost in the fact that as a ski biz, right? We always say, hey, we're not putting anybody on the moon. We're not curing cancer, but we are providing a, a real value to people, who, especially now yeah. <laughs> trying to get outside and recreate. Uh, and so the, you know, the, the challenges of, you know, depression having gone up, particularly uh, for millennials and younger, and and then the, you, you couple that with uh, some of the research that's coming out that's showing that two thirds of employees don't want to speak up about their mental health issues 
for fear of their job security. Huh. And and that's only you know that that's pro- that probably already existed, and then it's exacerbated by the fact that unemployment is up, which always carries that kind of cloud of like, well, if I don't do this job, they'll find somebody else who will. It, you know, it's mm-hmm. it, it it just piles on, and and so I think that the ability to you, again you you couple all that, and that lowers people's ability to have that resilience that you talked about, right? Early, I think early on, April, May, we were all really be able to ride on the, the adrenaline, the, the shocks, the threats, the, you know, the way our brain looks for bad things, right? <laughs> the way the brain works, it's, uh, we're wired for, to look for the bad stuff. And so we, we can survive on that adrenaline and April and May did that, but it takes its toll. And then now, here we are all the way into December and it's not so much the adrenaline anymore. Now we are talking about this personal resilience, uh, that, that comes from a, a psychological stamina and, and it's not the fun part, right? It's not, it's, it's the, this, this kind of second wave of resilience is not exciting at all. Uh, and, you know, more <laughs> people are now mode. reporting that they're, yeah, well, and they're more reporting that they're just, you know, bored and unnerved and, and that leads to that despair. And so I think that really lends itself to all those factors coming together of, you know, that, uh, the, uh, you know, the other factor we talked about it at the top of the conversation, I, you know, our strategic planning is now done in like 10 day, 30 day and 90 day <laughs> rolling cycles. Um, you know, the constant change and the, and the keeping up on the information and, uh, the, now the increase in bad information, uh, from not credible sources, it just creates more uncertainty and confusion. So that also triggers our fight or flight response. So we have, there's just a a whole buffet (laughs) of of reasons uh, why we would see people start to uh, struggle. And, and I think that that's, that's one of the places where I think our industry has to be careful uh, because we have that bias for action. We, this industry is full of experts at change and experts at uh, problem solving and create your know, creative problem solving. Uh, but that bias for action sometimes gets in the way of being able to stop and reflect long enough that you can make sure you're truly caring for your people, uh, you know, holding space for them. And again, when they, when they, you know, when somebody does open up that we don't just jump into problem solving mode, uh, that, that we let them, um, you know, as, as my, as my daughter says, who's, who's raising uh, four-year-old twins, you know, let them feel their feels, you know, not to get all ooey gooey on feelings, right? Sometimes that all comes out over beer that comes out on the smoke break that comes out, uh, in anger that comes out in, somebody digging their heels in over something that's completely unrelated. Uh, and so you have to be prepared to find a new way to listen to people and, and really hear what they're, what they're saying, but also listen to what they're not saying. Uh, very often what we, what we don't know about somebody is, is more important than what we do know. 
Do you think, so if you said two thirds of employees don't speak up because they fear losing their job. And if you're thinking about the, the ooey gooey things or vulnerability, I struggle with that being a, the balance between a rational fear and a real fear there, because I don't know a leader in any of those positions that can help that if someone were to come, their response would be suck it up, buttercup. I, I really feel that there's, if someone were to reach out, they're going to, they're going to be pointed in the right direction. They're going to have a resource to go to. They're going to find a partner in whatever that battle is they're going through. So it's interesting to me that that fear is there that they think, Oh, if I say something, I'm going to lose my job. I, that's a, that's a good, good point, Jordan. Cause I think that we also, because we work so closely together and we often work in remote locations. The other thing that I really love about the ski biz uh, is that sense of community, that sense of somebody uh, regardless of title or department is going to jump into the trench with me at any moment. Right. It's uh, you know, at Mountain Meadows, we say everybody shovels, right. It's, it's that kind of attitude. It's not just that literally everybody shuttles it's at any given time, right? I still have my CDL. I will still drive a shuttle bus when called upon. And I think the level of caring in, in this industry is very strong. I think where we, the, the gap exists where how somebody raises their hand and how well we can recognize that they are raising their hand because very often, again, it's not that clear cut. Uh, it's, it's those unexpressed needs that we have to be paying attention for. Uh, you know, all too often I, with so many incidents where a manager is coming to me and saying, Oh, we've got this performance problem. We're probably going to have to let this person go. You know, they, something's not right. And we dig in a little more, you know, and it turns out, and we've all seen this, the classic, you know, well, they were a great performer last year or last week. <laughs> and all of a sudden something changed. Well, you know, we all have to remember that that is atypical. And that's one of the signs, right? That's, uh, that's one of the signs of mental health struggle. And so that behavioral change, it could be indicative of something that is now caught up to somebody, right? Maybe they had a, a very clear break in their, in their mental health. Uh, and I say that in that sense of, right, if part of the cure is to, is to be talking about mental health the same way we talk about any other health. So you know, if somebody breaks their arm, you can see that. But what if the person bruised their arm and their wrist really hurts, but they're continuing to work because they don't want to let the team down? You know, the mental, psychological, emotional side of that is even harder to detect. And so I think we have to look at that performance as one of the key places where I see it. Uh, you know, and we have to remember that mental health is, uh, is not a character flaw. You know, someone who is struggling psychologically, emotionally, that doesn't make them weak. That, that makes them human. We're, we're all subject to it. And so the, the ability for us to, as, as leaders, as coworkers, uh, I don't want to just limit this to leaders because uh, coworkers are very often part of that very tight knit 
cadre that is able to raise their hand on behalf of someone. Well, <laughs> hey, I'm really concerned about so-and-so, you know? Um, and so I think that that's really one of the things we have to, we have to get out in front of that and can constantly remind ourselves because as leaders, one of the things that happens is it affects us too, right? We jump into that bias for action. We want the expedient solution. And so we see that performance issue and very often we can get ahead of ourselves if, if, if we are a bit compromised and a bit overloaded at the moment. And so we have to check ourselves or we have to have a sounding board in order to go, Hey, maybe this isn't just a performance, you know, is this a, is this a, that they can't do it or is it they won't do it? Uh, is this someone who is having a, is this someone who is abusing substances or is this someone who is having some real mental health challenges because they can look alike, they can present the same or both. I mean, right. That's, I mean, they're, they're very interconnected as well. So it, it's not, it's not a clean, not a clean thing. It's the buffet. Like you were saying, there's, there's so much going on there. You know, another thing about the work environment that we're in, I guess the two things I'd say there's the, there are more coworkers, if you will, positions in our industry than there are leadership positions. There's a lot of staff and there's fewer of the leadership positions. And that that being able to clue in that into the coworker side of things and take off your leadership hat. Or and you know, as a leader, it's hard for other positions to look at you as a coworker and not look at you through a, a power veil, through 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 some lens of a, of authority figure. That that can also be a hard thing there too. What I think is great about uh, working on the hill is, and it's not true for everybody. There's people that work at ski areas that do not ski or snowboard. They have other motivations for being there, but the majority ski or snowboard. And to be able to take that outdoor kind of a mental health break, take a ride break, if you're really in the in the heat of a moment or something, I always found that to be a pretty good tool for myself is to get out in nature and and be part of that or if i'm needing to have a conversation with somebody about a performance issue or mental health issue or whatever it's such a better conversation when you can do it sitting on the chair or standing in a grove of trees or or whatever and and not have to be in a windowless office um that's such a tool that we sometimes don't see it we don't see the forest for the trees right oh that's it's it's right there in front of us i would agree with that i think to the whether even sometimes it was, it's not the leader, uh, but just simply giving people more breaks. That was one of the things we talked about at Meadows. It was one of the tactics that we uh, prepared to be able to do was we're going to need to give our people more breaks. Uh, you know, the, those 10 minute breaks uh, and the half an hour uh, lunch, uh, those are good science. It's not just wage an hour law. And, and so I think the ability to really make sure that we're continuing to do that uh, and then the ability to, again, notice we have a lot of our, I've seen a lot of our team members who are, are struggling. And, and one of the ways they cope with struggling is they're, they're helping other people. They want, what are they doing on their 10 minute break? They're going out to call their friend who is in crisis. They're texting someone uh, who they care about. And, and that level of generosity of your time and energy is actually an anti-anxiety 
mm. you know, medication, if you will. Uh, and, and again, we see our teams, do, we see our people doing that all the time. And, and so we have to make sure that, yes, the leader can go out and you know, take the ride with that person, but maybe that person has somebody else that you send those two people out on the chair. As leaders, yes, we have to assume the obligation, sometimes legally, but mostly morally, to make sure that our people are well. That doesn't always mean that we have to be the one that's directly involved. So when you were talking about vulnerability there, it made me, it made me think of a rule of thumb, maybe I don't know how to, how to say this, but there's this kind of this general sense that if you're in a supervisor role, you have people that report to you, you generally report to somebody else. And if you have a problem with something, you shouldn't be talking smack about it. You shouldn't be expressing your frustration down the chain to the people that are looking up to you to be the, the provider in whatever is happening. Um, you know, you, you can, you can complain up the chain, but not down. Uh, Cause that's generally, I think that's the rules because that's the person that can help you fix it. Um, yes. Really, yeah. really loosely. And what you've kind of just said there is that's not always the case. The, the coworker, the, the peer level uh, relationships are super important also. But what that made me think is I had a, a boat captain I worked for one time who really drilled it into the crew and I really liked it. And I really adopted it for a long time. The saying, show grace in the face of adversity. And the crew would just say grace in the face. And if we got into whatever it was in a stressed out moment, you can, you can show it. And then that can cause people who are seeing you emote in that way to not feel as confident, especially if you're in a safety related situation, right? So she would always say grace in the face. And I really adopted that for some time. But I also feel in terms of vulnerability, if you're limiting your ability to emote and let people see you as a person, then you're not really helping things sometimes either. And, and you're creating a wall. And is it, am I someone that you can approach that's going to help you with your problem or not? So I've really kind of struggled with that because um, it was something I really adopted for a long time. And, and now I try to back off of it a little bit and, and it's okay to, mm. to let you know I got a furrowed eyebrow or something. Yeah, that's so critical. And, and so much now, uh, a lot of the new leadership thought leaders that are out there that are writing about this stuff. And again, they're social scientists. They're actually doing the research of, of what the impact that a vulnerable leader has on morale and retention and people's desire to go above and beyond in their job, their desire to recommend their employer as a place to work. The ability, and it certainly comes in with, with mental health struggles, you know, if we're going to normalize mental health to where we can talk about it just the same way we can talk about that bruised arm or that tummy ache, we have to be the first to talk about it. Uh, that doesn't mean you concoct a mental health struggle <laughs> as a leader, right? Cause we still have to be authentic. <laughs> uh, but, but to, in, in, in the very micro sense, we all deal with it because we are often in a position where we're experiencing ambiguity or some fear or uncertainty. And that's, those are some of the, you know, that's the fertile soil in which mental health takes seed. Again, I'm going to go back to our, our general manager, Greg Pack, very early on uh, back in March when we didn't you know, <laughs> hardly knew anything, you know, we suspended operations. We, we told our, our teams that we would, we were going to pay them for, for the last two weeks in March 
uh, while we kind of waited to see, right. Everybody was like, well, how, is this going to blow over in a week? <laughs> uh, you know, we, did, we didn't know, uh, no crystal ball. And, and you know, our executive team crafted an email and Greg was very good about saying team, here's what we know. And team, here's what we don't know. And, and, you know, the ability for a leader to be honest about that is, is to me very critical. And then I think the other piece that comes with that, uh, you know, and that's, and that's a chapter right out of Brené Brown, right. Of talking about vulnerability and, and braving, uh, an, another, another thought leader, uh, Simon Sinek, who's come out with a, a, a couple of new books. One of the things he mentions is the difference between positivity and optimism. And he says, you know, as a leader, you can be an optimist. The optimist is the person who says, Hey, here's the reality, everybody. And yeah, here's the cards that are stacked against us and it may not look good, but together, here's how we're going to pull through. And here's a couple of things I'm thinking about that we can do to, right. We, we kind of move toward that, that action. Positivity is different in that sense that, and, and this is where I find uh, sometimes leaders in our expediency gloss over the person who's trying to raise their hand and they say, yeah, things are going great, you know, and this is going well and this is going well, but boy, things are just a little precarious. And I'm one, you know, one mouse click away from kind of losing it or, you know, I'm one, uh, one more bad interaction with an employee who's not assuming the best, you know, from the company. Uh, or, you know, again, is yeah, complaining to me instead of complaining to somebody who can do something about it. Right. Mm-hmm. And very often as leaders, we sometimes leap into that problem solving mode or we leap into, and it's still problem solving to think that I can fix this by telling them everything that's going well. So I have this employee that says, Oh yeah, this went well, this went well, this went well, but things are a little precarious. And I go, well, you know, our guests are really giving us a lot of compliments and you know, we've done this and we've caught up on, you know, these projects and things are going really well. And as if I'm going to convince this person that the thing that they were alluding to that seems precarious isn't real. Like, did I just, I have to be careful, right? Did I just devalue what they're trying to tell me? Yeah. Um, And, and that's, and it's a, and it's a, it's a tough balance because there's, there's also a lot of value in helping people, look at maybe you not telling them, but you asking them what's going well, that is a, a a real key thing that you can do to help people in their mental health, be able to focus on, on the good, right? We have to retrain again, our, right. Our brains are trained (laughs) to look for the bad stuff. That's how we survived. And, and it's how we came out of the, you know, the jungle and the desert and, uh, to, to be able to, uh, invent zoom, right. But the, so we were, but our brains still work that way. So we have to, and it's possible, we have to work on training ourselves to look at what's going well and, and being able to, again, ask those more specific questions about how somebody's doing. Yeah, that's, that's hard. You just made me think of skiing in the trees. If I'm looking at the tree, I might hit the tree. If I look at the spaces in between the trees in the area, I do want to go. It's a better, it's a better run. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I guess. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. Cause you're not going to, you're, you're not going to, you're not going to change where the trees are. Right. That's the, yeah. uh, you know, to think about, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, what I, what you made me think about was a, a, another thing that we use at Meadows, which is talking about 
connecting to reality and trying to remind each other to stick to what we can influence. Uh, mm-hmm. And then those things that we can influence, accept it, let it go. Uh, and so, you know, in, in your example, we're not going to change where the trees are, you know, quit looking at the trees and banging your head into them. Uh, look at the, look at the space, uh, you know, be able to think about what you can do. Uh, and, and so by doing that, we can pivot a lot of conversations with our, with our employees. I can, I can take someone who's got their laundry list of, your grievances, man, this isn't going well. And I, this sucks and this isn't working and I don't have the tools and, you know, blah, 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 on and on the, the what's going well. Sometimes that is not the first thing you want to lead into because they just, you know, are expecting you to maybe at least acknowledge that they've got a lot of things maybe going poorly. Uh, so I put the what's going well in my back pocket and I can at least either in response to them or proactively before they even go into it to be double checking with some of those mental health building blocks. How are you today? Right. Not, not how are you? And, and this is, I was in a webinar this summer where there was a psychologist who actually talked about the difference, right? We all are, you know, how are you doing? Great. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, especially if you're in a, especially if you're in a position of authority, right? I can walk down the hall and say, how are you doing? And the answer I'm going to get is great, except for the person that's really waiting to unload their, their long list of grievances. But if I have that moment and I can stop and be mindful enough to really deal with one person, the person in front of me and say, how are you today? How are you sleeping? Yeah, the physical, you know, yeah, the physical needs. That's a good. That's a good thing. Is nutrition, water, exercise, like the can't overlook that stuff. Yeah, and and I think that that's and and people do. Uh, It's one of the uh, being no stranger to to some tragedy, uh, as a lot of people in the industry know. uh, I've I've had the, the the misfortune. Uh, of being close to a fair number of tragedies and fair number of deaths in in the ski industry. And the, the ability to come back from that as a business, the ability to help people, you know, make the right decision for them, whether that's staying with the company or not uh, seeking help or not, it comes with the ability to really focus on some of those immediate needs uh, and, and mm-hmm. those are often things that begin the cycle of a mental health problem. As soon as you're not sleeping well, your brain isn't able to do the wash and rinse cycle that it goes through every night. Uh, and if you lose sleep, you lose that ability and you're, you start to get that pandemic fatigue and the brain fog and anxiety creeps in or fear or what, you know, whatever your you know, whatever your troubling emotion of choice is, uh, those things creep in. And so the ability to just check with people in terms of how they're sleeping, checking with people on, you know, when was the last time you ate? Uh, are you, are you drinking enough water? Uh, the exercise piece you already alluded to, right. The, the ability to give people breaks and ride breaks. Yeah. Uh, those are all super critical, uh, to, to people's mental health. And I think the, again, we have to, we have to ask those questions and then we have to, as coworkers and as leaders, we have to stop waiting for our turn to talk. And, and I say that, uh, not as the expert 
and the model <laughs> of that practice. I am merely the guy that went to enough webinars that I know that that's important and I'm working on it myself. We have to practice being more mindful and really ask some more questions. One of my one of my coworkers who I look up to greatly, and, and she's been a mentor to me in, in the human resources field, is great at putting a pause on any moment that she's getting ready to speak. And she lets that she lets that quiet be the place where she knows that she's in the right spot to be able to actually respond to the person and hear what they said, as opposed to just take your turn. Um, now, if you're going to practice that, you have to be ready because it will sometimes annoy people that you're waiting five seconds <laughs> before yeah. responding. Uh, but but you know. It, by doing that, I have, I have seen it work where you have someone who's able to be much more fully present with the person they're dealing with. Uh, it gets them more credibility. It gets them to a better solution. Uh, it, it helps everybody kind of settle down a little bit. Uh, and, and again, there's, yeah. it's not, that's not, that's not, uh, you know, that's not junk, uh, science. Uh, there was, um, some of the SHRM, uh, some of the society for human resources management, uh, yeah. resources, they came out with a mental health and wellness in the workplace initiative back in July. And, uh, one of their speakers and articles talks about, you can actually practice that by literally counting down from five to one. And by doing that, the, the act of counting actually saying five, four, three, two, one in your head takes you out of your limbic system, your, your emotional response system and puts you into your prefrontal cortex. It puts you into the higher part of your brain that's more rational. And so if you're, uh, you know, again, we're all not, not all of us, but many of us are in that spot where we are a little more prone to have a shorter fuse yeah. or we're more prone to seeking that expedient solution, right? Um, let me just fix this so we can get on with it. When things get a little heated, we can end up having it spiral the wrong direction. And so that, that tool was an interesting one for me because it, it, it put the science onto what my, my mentor and coworker and, and friend was, has been doing, you know, which is allow yourself to get into that higher part <laughs> of, of your brain and of your person so that you can make a better response. Most ski areas, and I'm a, I'll assume here that Mount, Head, Mount Hood Meadows is the same, have an employee assistance program uh, that staff can take advantage of to get counseling, uh, other, other resources for help. Um, can you talk to me about that a little bit? Sure. I, I do think that most, uh, anybody that's got some type of defined benefit plan usually has a, uh, an EAP employee assistance program that, that is either attached to that or through a separate provider. Uh, most of them are pretty cheap. Uh, if, you know, if you don't have one and, and I think for, if, if you're a resort out there that doesn't have one and you, you don't think that you have the means to do it, like there's a ton of other resources out there, you know, crisis, at least being able to get crisis hotlines available to your, to your team. That's completely free. Uh, you know, I've got, I've got two different suicide hotlines that I've got in my phone that I'm ready to hand out to somebody. Um, it doesn't cost a thing. And I think 
uh, you know, being able to access some of your local resources. If you've got a, a mental health uh, facility or a crisis center uh, in your area, if you have uh, one of the things that I had uh, success with in the past is partnering with uh, uh, cha- uh, areas that have a chaplain program. And, uh, and I know some people get a little weird about hearing about chaplain programs. And then they think that, you know, that's a, it's very mono focused and very not inclusive because it's so Christian based. Uh, the, the chaplains that I've had the fortune of working with, uh, one of their first rules is their job is not to fix anyone's theology. Uh, they really are there to care for the person. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, there's, there are those resources. Uh, sometimes you can connect with your local EMS and they may have somebody in that, you know, who works in that crisis field that could become a resource that you, know, you either just partner with them or you trade a pass with them uh, or something for their services. Uh, I know at Mount Hood Meadows, our EAP offers more than a crisis line. You know, we have, I, I think all of us in the HR department and most of our managers have those cards either sitting on their desk or in their pocket. Uh, we've got it on our team site to where, you know, I want to make sure that our team has access to that EAP. They don't need anyone's permission to go get it, right? Or not even to ask for a card, just like here, <laughs> here it is. Uh, but besides crisis counseling uh, or co- other counseling around issues, our EAP offers videos on how to be a better communicator, how to personally budget your money. You know, there's mm. all these different avenues that a lot of EAPs have that uh, help you reduce maybe what's causing the stress, not just coping with the stress after it's already here. Uh, you know, if it's if it's a communication problem or a, a family issue, you're trying to find uh, elder uh, elder care for a parent. Uh, you know, those are all things that a lot of EAPs will offer. And so if you dig around a little bit, uh, a lot of times you can find that your EAP is offering a, a heck of a lot more than just uh, help for somebody who might be addicted to substance, which has been the traditional view of EAPs, but they, they very often do, do so much more. If it has a chance to help even one person, uh, then right, then this podcast was worth it. Yeah, that's, that's exactly been my, uh, my mindset for doing this is it's just one person. Cause I do think it's real. I mean, I know it's real. It's not even a, it's not a think it's not a debatable <laughs> type of thing. It's, this is a real deal in our industry. It's a real deal in our region. Um, so if any of you, uh, anybody listening is curious about the EAP, that employee assistance program, uh, through your employer, Go find your HR office, uh, go find your supervisor, somebody at your ski area has info on that. Uh, so really, I would encourage you to go check that out if that's something that sounds like uh, is of interest to you. Hey, so you're making me think about burnout. So every year, any ski area employee that's been around and is in to the seasonal workforce mindset, I think there's a couple of things that happen. If your ski area normally closes in middle of April, In March, you're starting to see that date ahead and you're starting to see my summer job coming up and, and, uh, you just, you're so in the zone of, of what you've been doing for the last few months that burnout starts to become a thing. I I'm wondering, I'm sensing from afar again, that with COVID, 
I wonder if that comes a little earlier this year. There's so much more that's coming at us. How many times can you be prompting a guest to pull their mask up over their nose? At what point are you just over that? Um, <laughs> are, you, are you getting the sense there that, you know, what's, what's burnout, uh, the timeline of burnout feeling like it may be this year? Boy, that's a, that's a great question. I don't, you don't need to have the answer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, I, I do think what it makes me think of is right back to this, the same thing, right? We have to be paying attention as leaders uh, and as good coworkers, right? A leader is just merely anyone who's willing to kind of go first and really cares about other people enough, right? That's, that's a leader. And we all have to be uh, checking ourselves enough that we can be attentive to our people and be looking at you know, the, 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 the folks who we serve, we have to be paying attention to, yeah, is that burnout happening sooner? Uh, is it happening in different ways, right? Yeah, is it going yeah. to look different? Uh, you know, we don't know right? we still have, like I was talking about earlier, that psychological stamina, there's not the adrenaline rushes anymore. It's just this long slog of, you know, well, the, the vaccine is coming, dot, dot, dot. Yeah. We're waiting. What does that mean? What is, does that, does that change the landscape for what March and April look like? Uh, does it, you know, does it get people more invigorated for, for being able to go back to their summer job that they missed out on last year? Uh, I, it's, it's going to be really you know, I think it's just a call for us to be paying attention. Matt, we're just going to go on and on and on here all day if we don't just cut it off. So I really want to thank you for, for taking the time and, and let me pick your brain and dive into just this wealth of knowledge that you uh, have, have accumulated over your years of, of thinking about things in this way. Um, I think the, the staff of Mount Hood Meadows are really lucky to have you around and as a resource for them. Uh, so thanks. Thanks for all you're doing over there, man, getting the season up and running and, and off into the future in these strange times and then beyond. All right. Well, thanks, Jordan. I appreciate uh, everything you're doing for PNSAA and putting us out there to, to, to keep us all connected in the, in the times of <laughs> not physically being in each other's presence. See ya. See you, man. Big thanks to Matt Trotsky for having that conversation with me. We talked for over an hour, so there was quite a bit of editing had to be done there. Uh, really important stuff. Everybody, take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Follow that chair on out. Come on out to that red line. How y'all doing today? Good, how about you? Oh, it's living the dream, you know? It's another beautiful day in paradise. Here comes that chair, guys. Enjoy. Ah, chairlift thoughts get weird sometimes. Like thinking about the English language weird. And how even though English is the common tongue of the planet, it doesn't always come up with a word that speaks directly to a specific concept, while an other language might. Like the German word Zeitgeist. The zeitgeist is the collective attitude or outlook of people or a culture at a specific point of time. Zeitgeist can be used in a discussion of the current moment or a narrow period of time in the past or a, or a broader period or era. English makes us use a mouthful to get there. 
the 1920s, we refer to as the Roaring Twenties, the 1960s, the Civil Rights Movement, or the Summer of Love, the social unrest we saw in the summer of 2020. English makes us trip over our tongue to get there. The Germans package it up nicely with Zeitgeist. Another example is the Japanese term Shinrin-yoku. I'm not sure if I'm saying that correctly. The direct translation is forest bathing. The concept that getting out into the woods is good for your soul. It's good for you neurologically, good for you psychologically. I think it's why we work in outdoor recreation. Japanese does that better than English with Shinrin-yoku. But English has stepped up this year, I guess. A term you've heard in 2020 and heard me use in the last podcast, quarantine, the group of people you're limiting your social circles with to slow the spread of COVID, right? English pulled it off this year with a bit of a pun in quarantine. So what's it take to get a word in the dictionary? Dictionary publishers don't make up words. They find them in use. Two criteria need to be met. The word needs to have widespread use amongst a group of people. A lot of people are using it, spoken or written. And it has to have staying power. It's not a one-off. It's likely going to be in use for a long time. I guess the jury is still out as to whether or not quarantine has staying power. I hope not. That's your chairlift thought. Hey, I want to thank Lee Rosevere and Young Carts for putting their music up on the free music archive so that we can use it here. Everybody, don't forget to check in with your employer about your EAP, your employee assistance program. And also remember that betterhelp.com slash the mountain is there for you if you want 10% off your first month of some online counseling there. Give us some reviews on this podcast. This puppy is growing. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button so the next episode pops up on your feed whenever that is. I'll see you on the mountain. I'm Goggy Foggle. <laughs>